And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 46 today. Yo, yo. uh, We have our good buddy, uh, Andrew Tischler, back on. How you doing? What's going on? How's it going? Well, good. Doing well, doing well. Um, so what's been going on since the last time we talked? I know, uh, we were both looking into, uh, Tom Campbell and then you emailed me about, uh, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ, which I kind of, kind of got the wheel spin. I'm like, that sounds familiar. And then I, it, it's obviously some of it's related to the, to the stars Academy and those guys and stuff since, um, Hal Putoff joined that. But, um, why don't you talk about, um, remote viewing and kind of how all this stuff got started. Sweet. Um, so, uh, I think you mentioned his name is a guy named Ingo Swan. So he's actually responsible for coining the term remote viewing. So I think you pretty much want to start with him. Um, although there's a field called parapsychology that's been around for quite a long time, uh, even over in Europe back in like 18, you know, late 1800s, they were, uh, there was people studying that, but our story starts with, uh, yeah, Ingo Swan. Um, he was introduced by, to Hal Putoff in like 1972 by a guy who is now famous for hooking up plants to polygraph tests. <laughs> uh, I was looking into him a little bit. He's a little bit of a, odd are they lying or what? Well, the plants or who? Oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the truth. He, he had this whole thing about like if you would like end up like killing like brine shrimp in front of like his house plant, like the like oh. it would, it would get a reading. Yeah. All yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the so. But Ingo Swan was introduced to how put off um, by this guy, and um, I kind of I kind of did a little bit of research to try to tell you guys the whole story, um, so we can kind of get into that too. But basically. The American United States military or their government was looking for someone to do some research into psychic uh, phenomena as a response to rumors they were hearing coming out of Russia, right? So I, I kind of did a little research. I wanted to, I think it'd be fun to go into it a little bit. So it's, it's, it's a lot about the Cold War. Okay. I really didn't know too much about, I don't know how much you guys know about the Cold War. We're a little I young. mean, I know a general... I guess from history class and yeah. just stuff I've read and right. YouTube we, videos. We know what they want you to know. Right. <laughs> so I just, I, I did like a crash course I found on YouTube that was just a moderately informing. So it was, you know, basically when world war two ended, it was America and Russia that were the unaffected parties. We were the two superpowers vying for control over the, the globe basically. Yeah, so yeah. we have communist Russia and capitalist America. Um, and, you know, they wanted, they each wanted to spread their influence. We wanted to be spread democracy to the world and they wanted to spread, spread communism to the world. Um, so we ended up having what they call fighting a series of what's called proxy wars. Um, and uh, there's a good list I was reading and it's kind of interesting today as well to hear this list. So it was proxy wars. There was some intimidation between the countries. There was propaganda battles and some espionage. <laughs> so even back in 19, you know, 1945, Russians were using, um, propaganda and espionage to try to influence world affairs. Um, anyway, uh, the one interesting thing I heard Russell Targ say was that Lenin, who is, you know, one of the, uh, 
communist leaders that in the Russian Soviet Union, um, he was a uh, he he believed in in psychic abilities, and so he was the one key that kept Russia interested in psychic research. Whereas everyone in America is very scientific and all that, they weren't interested. So the point there is that they got started in like 1945 with the whole psychic thing, and uh, America didn't get started until the 70s. When they had heard all the, you know, they had heard all these years that, that Russia had been using psychic spies and all that to try to get influence and in, intelligence on different sites in the American, you know, in the in the country and all that. Anyway, so America wanted basically wanted someone in in their, you know, in in the country to prove that psychic research was impossible and false, so they could stop worrying about the Russians, right? Right. So that's the whole thing is they just wanted someone to tell them that they didn't have anything to worry about and that psychic research was, was false and that there was no such thing as remote viewing. And all that, that ended up not being the case, right? Exactly. So that's, that's the story. That's the stage, right? So then in the seventies, you know, they, uh, they tag how put off and they ask him to, to try to f- find some way, you know, to look into this matter. And, uh, when, when Ingo Swan showed up in his, you know, mail mailbox or whatever, he said, okay, maybe this is the opportunity, um, brought Ingo out and interviewed him. Um, and a cool little thing happened, you know, during that little first meeting, uh, I suppose there, there was a piece of equipment at the at SRI, which is the Stanford research Institute out in California, where they did a lot of the research, um, they had set up this equipment. This physicist uh, was basically dug a tunnel about 20 stories deep into the ground and built a chamber and put a really, really subtle machine that could read. Uh, they were looking for, I think it was like gamma rays, right? So they had to get all the stuff. They had to set this machine in a really uh, remote place that wasn't going to be influenced by radio waves. And who, who knows what? I don't really understand it. But they put this uh, this little you know polygraph, whoever, whatever it is, down in this tunnel, and uh, they asked Ingo Swan just to say, just to go look at it. Could could you use your mind and go down there and tell us what's going on in this little machine? And when he tried to go and view it with his mind, the the needle swang and moved. Shit. Okay. So he had affected this meat, this thing that was only supposed to pick up gamma rays or this particular whatever. And so when the needle moved, like the graduate student that was involved in keeping track of the whole test flipped out, lost his mind and was like, why did you do that? What just happened? It's not supposed to move like that. That was really weird. You know, I got to go test everything now. There's something wrong. That was a coincidence. So they, this poor graduate student spent like all these hours testing it, or fixing it, calibrating it. And then, like, a couple hours later, they do the same thing, and the needle moves again. Hell, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's where Ingo got the start. That's where all of the, the money came from. It was, like, this proof, scientific data, that, for whatever reason, when Ingo tried to view the machine, it wiggled, and it's not supposed to. So that's that's the beginning of it all. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, it's a, a you know. And weren't they trying to trick? I, I saw something where they were trying to trick them too. They put different things in the box. Well, yeah, One so time they put like uh, they had the military guys in there, and there was something about like um, he said it was like a butterfly, but it ended up being like a leaf. But it was like so close, like you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they um after that initial meeting, they they got some funding from the government. Um, but the whole point was that like everyone that would talk to uh, Hal Putoff was like, hey. I hear you're working with this psychic. They're obviously like lying to you, right? They're trying to pull the hood over you. They're, 
they're 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 just they're just out for the money, right? That's how psychics are. We 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 know all about psychics. They just try to screw people out of their money. They lie to people. They're charlatans. So everyone was really skeptical. But yeah, they're doing these tests. And it's working, right? Like Ingo can tell you what's in the box. He can tell you what's in the next room. He can tell you. He, he ended up actually getting really annoyed with them. He left his life in New York as an artist to come do all this research. And they had him doing all this trivial stuff. And he, he said to them, like, look, I can see across the planet. I can see right. anything you want. Why are we wasting time? If you want to see what's in the envelope, open it, right? Like, I can do cooler stuff than this. Um, so, yeah, uh, it went it went from there. Um how long did it take them to start making them predict stocks and stuff? Right. So once the, <laughs> it always comes back to the stocks. Well, it's pretty cool. So like, uh, I, again, uh, doing the research on the cold war thing, it was, uh, let me see, look at my notes here. Um, where did it go? Uh, anyway, like in the fifties, Oh yeah, here we go. So Truman in the fifties established the department of defense, the national security council, the CIA and the NSA. Okay, all that was established in the 50s to try to combat the the Russia, Cold War, communist, Red Scare, all that kind of stuff, right? So we get all these intelligence agencies that are born during the Cold War. Um, And it it just got to the point where eventually when any of those agencies got desperate, they, they knew that this wing of the army was working with psychics. The army was the first one to start. They, they basically, after the Ingo experiments, the army sent a couple of volunteers, a couple of soldiers, and they wanted to see, okay, can you train these soldiers? You know, we went through with all of our people. These people have a, a like a seeming to have a bit of a, a natural gift for psychic you know, abilities. They did some random tests and they gave them this crop of young soldiers and they said, okay, train these soldiers to be psychic spies for us because that's what the Russians are doing. We need to keep up and catch up. Um, so there's a guy named Joseph McMonagall who's really famous. He's fun to look into. He's got a lot to say on YouTube now. Um, he's one of the original. He's like the first soldier psychic spy. So if you if you think about that movie, The Men Who Stare at Goats, you know that's. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, that, that's what that story is. You know, then they say this is based on true events, and they go on to like make a mockery of the whole idea and make it into a joke, which is honestly so. So the kind of the point is is like while while they're doing while there's these like you know about 20 or so people working for the military doing these psychic researches just trying to disprove it most of the time anyone involved like doesn't want to believe it's real it's just like the people in the program that actually know that this stuff is real but everyone else is basically uh, thinks that they're all being lied to or that somehow it's false so like it's really funny like they'll, they'll basically they'll turn to them when they need them and then say oh no we never work with them and they're mm-hmm. a bunch of liars and stuff so they would you know when they when you, like they did a, they, you know McMonagall says a bunch of stuff like we found you know we we worked with people in Iran in 1972 and then we did this for the military and you know in this place and we did that and we worked with this person and this person and like, he's got this whole list of of all of these jobs that they did yet. If you ask those agencies, they'll lie and say, oh, no, we don't use psychics or whatever. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it went for about 20 years. Well, it sounds about right, you know, plausible yeah. deniability. <laughs> let's let's right. separate ourselves from the crazy people. Because exactly. the last thing I think the government would want is for people to think like they're doing shit like that in the sense that there's no real hard evidence to show people. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, like you just said, we're going to use it. It's effective for what we need to get done, but we don't want to come off crazy to the general public because this would be like news to them. You know, like right. the public, as much as we give, try and give credit for, like, oh, everybody's educated. They're really not. I mean, everybody just, they're educated in the sense of their daily lives and what's pertains to them specifically. But if you were to ask 
people about a lot of the stuff, especially a lot of the stuff we talk about on our podcast. They'd be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" You know, they right. have no right. idea. So that's no, true. You, you know, it's it's if you're if you think of yourself as a reasonable and practical person, you're going to say that psychics are not a thing. And uh, and most indeed, most of the military, most of the scientists, most of the government says that. I agree. Um, so here's a real funny point about all of it, though. Um, Ingo Swan tells this story all the time. So, you know, he's being, you know, they're getting millions of dollars from government agencies to do this research. Um, but when people fly in and like, you know, have lunch with Hal Putoff and Russell Targ to talk about some of the results, they're, they're afraid of Ingo Swan, right? Mm-hmm. Ingo always talks about like, they're afraid to have lunch with Ingo. And the reason is, is they're all afraid that Ingo is going to just start reading their minds. Yeah. And figure out their secrets and whatever they're embarrassed about or whatever, you know, government official stuff they're not allowed to talk about. They, they're afraid of the psychics. You know, this is the point. So Ingo knows that they're afraid of him. Um, there's a, a funny story where uh, they send um, Joseph McMonagall. They send two different psychics this coordinate. It was um, this guy's summer home that was just a quarter mile away from this uh, super secret, top secret facility, NSA facility or something like that. So they send the coordinates to this little cabin that's like near that area. But each of the two psychics end up just describing Ingo and Joseph Grimaldo, where they both describe this site. And when they ask, well, we sent you to one place, but you both drew this other place close to it. Why did you draw the NSA site, not the cabin? Well, they said, well, in psychic space, things that you intend to keep secret shine brighter than anything else. Right? So... Ingo Swan, is, his whole point about all of the whole thing is that the U.S. government operates on secrecy. It operates on the premise that it can keep secrets, you know, from both the enemies abroad and, you know, high technology, economic secrets, you know, military secrets, all this stuff. Basically, international affairs operates on the premise that we can keep a secret. And it's not even wrong. Like, you, our social lives operate on the premise that you can't read my mind. I, you know, you can't tell exactly what I'm thinking about you. You know, we have all of these like social etiquette stuff in place with psychics. None of that is there. Like Ingo's point is that literally if we were all psychic, there'd be no secrets, no secrets. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think about, you know, that's what they don't like. That's what's unsettling about the whole thing. So the, so, so the government can say, Oh, we need psychics when like we have these, you know, hostage situations, but in every other instance, it's too it's too uncomfortable to admit that there that there's that it's actually happening. So that's the big push and the big resistance. So why don't you go back to uh, what we were talking about, where um, uh, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ met at uh, SRI, Stanford Research Institute, and started working with Ingo Swan. Um, and then from there, what happened? Did they continue the research? I know what, what was Project Stargate. Was that? Yeah, well, that's great. That's a great question. So, so like I said, one of the initial steps after they confirm, you know, so basically they do the Ingo Swan experiments, and they 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 have all this very very high percentage evidence that Ingo is actually performing psychic stuff. Um, they they do you know they send in a couple army people out try to debunk it. They can't. So the next thing is they set up this army wing with like. A handful, like I'm saying, like some of them were, again, soldiers that they ran a couple of tests on a whole bunch of soldiers. They picked a couple they thought had some natural abilities. And then they picked a couple that they thought would just be straight men, you know, uh, to have, you know how they do scientific research. You got yeah. yeah. Um, like a control. Controls. So imagine 10, 10 or so people working with a couple government, you know, how put off in them. Um, <clears throat> but basically, I went through this list that McMonagall said. So they, uh, they did uh, stuff where... 
they would try to do, they would try to get information, remote viewing while they're lucid dreaming. Okay. They would try to do it while they're having out of body experiences. And they actually, he brings up Robert Monroe. Yeah. The guy I mentioned is Tom Campbell's, you know, mentor. Um, they have the Monroe Institute in Virginia, which still exists and still teaches people to go out of body today, right now. Um, so they worked with Monroe. So they get into the out of body state and then do remote viewing. And so there's distinguished the distinctions between what those things mean. Um, but they would do remote viewing under hypnosis. And he also mentioned an, an altered states, which he didn't say what that was, but I have to assume they probably did LSD in those. We, right? know, we know, we, we know, know what it was. <laughs> So DMT, LSD, they tried to look into the far, far distant future. They did distant past readings. They did, uh, they did um, research into like things at a cosmic distance. Um, they would go to, you know, other stars. Um, what about uh, sleep paralysis? Was that in there? Um, they didn't mention that one, um, but you know, that's a, yeah. Um, but they did it. So what time, what time frame was this again? Sorry, just to remind me. What's it? Was this in the seventies, the sixties? This would be after the yeah, in the seventies. The whole SRI started in seventy-two. So then this would have been probably seventy-five. It went from seventy-five to nineteen ninety-five officially, and it, it had a couple different names. Um, Didn't they separate too? Something about like Stanford was getting heat for having being associated with that. So they cut off the research Institute is like a completely separate entity or something like that. Yeah, there were, there were a couple splinters and then that's why they kept changing the name. I guess one's called Sunstreak when they were ever where they were working in coordination with the defense intelligence agency. And then when it was the CIA, that that's when they called it Stargate. So that's just one of the names that they used when it was, you know, so there's, it's gone under different names. Um, the first one, apparently, Center Lane. I don't even know what that is. I've never heard of that. But Stargate is just the one that sticks. It's the most interesting one. Well, we've all seen the movie with uh, <laughs> Kurt Russell, which is... So, uh, Russell Targ says that they, they called it that secretly about four years before that movie came out. So, you know, it was... That's funny. Yeah, exactly. So they got it first. Um, but, yeah, so it went on. And, yeah, I, I really think... Um, I, I mean, I have a buddy, and this isn't very hard evidence, but he was overseas in Iraq at one point. And he said that I asked him, I was like, you know, like, have you ever heard of psychic you know, information that was derived from a psychic? And he was like, you know, normally I wouldn't believe in anything like that. But the number of times that we were gone on that had been we were sent on missions because of psychic information proofs. And I was like, what? Like, he could be lying. I, I find him, you know, moderately trustworthy. I know, you know, but who knows? Um, but, yeah, he even mentioned that. Who knows? Maybe that's true. Um, so I think the military. It, it, it ended in 1995, and I've heard uh, people that were involved, like you know Joseph Monagle, people that were on the ground, Russell Targ. As far as they know, the U.S. government is not currently researching psychic ability, um, but it may just be a black, black, black budget, black op thing that they're no longer being told about. Um, because you have to imagine they are. <laughs> we got to get your buddy on, get to the fucking bottom of this. I know, I know, right? I mean, that would be pretty funny. He was just an infantry guy, so it would have. It's probably rumors. I don't know what it would be like. Well, say. here's the thing, too. The other thing is is maybe it's past the point of research. Maybe they're like, this works. We have people to do this. We're not. Why Why put money into something that you already know works? You know? Well, exactly. You have to imagine that they're just doing it at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, point of no return at this point. <laughs> it goes an internal problem. It, 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 by them accepting that they're using it, it, it also... 
you know, potentially could threaten the entire system that's taking advantage of it, right? So they have to keep it, they have to walk that fine line of like, no, no, of course I can still exist, that would be absurd, but we have them stashed away down. You know, it's a, it's a fine line they got to walk. I mean, the thing I think about that too is people are like, oh, we want the truth, or oh, we... To be honest, like to quote uh, a few good men, you can't handle the truth. You can't. I mean, like most people, if you were to tell them this stuff or explain these situations, they wouldn't know what the fuck to do with themselves because their whole life, they just woke up every day, did their routine, did their thing. And that was it, you know? So for, for, I think that maybe there is a benefit. Maybe that's what the whole point of this is just to slowly acclimate people over the years. This group keeps getting bigger, 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 bigger till it gets to the point where it's like, we can talk about this or maybe there is some sort of benefit, you know? Yeah. No, I, I'm not sure. It's yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I'm just trying to take a non, you know, skeptical. Everybody wants to play conspiracy and this and that. And I think there are real things associated with that. No questions. But I also think that we give people too much credit. Sometimes that these things are big systems with a lot of people and there's just, um, ignorance involved with some of these things too, you know? So I think, uh, I look at it as like error, like we, you know, everybody's, nobody's perfect. And to, to hold some of these people to these such high regards that they're not making mistakes either is, right. I think, right. you know? Yep. I hear you. Absolutely. It's, it's a complicated world. It is. It's super complicated. <laughs> um, so why don't you talk about, uh, um, things that they found though, like through the research, like through Hal Putoff's research, like what were things like some conclusions that they've come to regarding the actual um, remote viewing process and possibly other, um, maybe even being in, t- you know, in touch with entities or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot to unpack. Um, they, uh, you know, they developed a, a pretty rigorous system about what kind of, uh, you know, it's better to just go ahead and look at some of the, the direct, you know, videos that go over the process they use to get into the remote viewing state and what kind of information they get. You know, again, Joseph McMonigle is a guy that has a couple of videos up where he, he'll go right through and tell you his exact experience when he was remote viewing. Um, as far as how it works, so that's pretty interesting. He was just saying how, you don't, you know, you don't even tend really to see images, but he, he just called them perceptions. He said that it might be a taste or a feel or a smell, and, you know, and he talks about you know, learning the difference between like your rational mind trying to come up with an answer that makes sense to the question versus just random, like Russell Targa talk about just stuff that, you know, wasn't in your mind. You weren't thinking about it. You're not stressed about it. It's just some, something comes to you from this unknown source. And that's the kind of stuff you got to pay attention to. So it's really about training your attention. Um, and I know they use like, uh, uh, what are those chambers called where you float the, uh, the sensor? Oh, uh, like, yeah, those, uh, Joe Rogan's uh, float tanks yeah. or whatever. Sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they started with, you know, a lot of military sites or ran, just random sites. Um, they would send, you know, just to a, a bridge or a pedestrian bridge, and they would see if they could figure that out, get that down. But I would say the most interesting stuff they eventually moved on to were, like, you know, they sent Engo out. They, they had heard that they were sending a satellite to, like, I think it was Jupiter, and they said, wouldn't it be cool if, in, you know, it's going to be there in three months, we're going to get these amazing images. Wouldn't it be cool if we got, made some predictions about what they were going to find before it happened, right? So they sent Ingo up and he viewed Jupiter and he actually 
stated that there were rings to Jupiter that they had previously not known about. We know about the rings of Saturn, but there were these rings to Jupiter that were not visible from Earth. Inga had mentioned that they're there, and they were confirmed months later by this NASA spacecraft. Um, so there's a pretty famous story where, uh, what's his name? Um, not Neil deGrasse Tyson, but the guy that did the show before that, Cosmos. Uh, um, oh, uh Carl Sagan. Yeah, he uh, he he has this really unfavorable review of the notes that Ningo, that Ingo had written about his tra- you know traveling to these other planets. But Sagan, of course, he's going to do that because he's one of these people that is popular about being a skeptic and all that. Uh, well, but, early on though, he was all about panspermia, directed panspermia. It seemed like early in his career he was optimistic, and then right. when he got involved with other shit, it seemed like maybe he yeah. that changed. Him. And then he wrote Contact. Um, but no, so I mean, I, uh, I'm not big, you know, obviously I think it's important for everyone to, to research all of the interesting sort of paranormal and sort of under whatever, a little, it's just interesting to go into all that. But for Ingo, you know, he went to the moon, right? They had him go to a site on the moon that he later discovered was the moon. See the cool thing. So, I mean, it's fun to point this out. One of the things about remote viewing that, uh, McMonagall mentioned was that, the difference between a psychic and a remote viewer is that for psychics often that, first of all, they're given all the information about the source that they're trying to work on. So you come to them and you say, my name's John. I just got divorced. I want to know, I want you to tell me this exact thing. I've given, you know, you've got the person in front of you. They've got all, you can read their body language and all you can say what you want to hear with, with the, with the remote viewing, everything is double blind, right? So you're just handed, you're usually just handed literally coordinates like 4.4 West by 2.2 East, right? Like, that's what you get. That's all you get. And the person that's interviewing you, they don't know what it is either, right? So every every single person in the room is all, no one knows what the point of your, you could be talking about a cat, a paperclip, or a, a, the moon, right? That's how they premised all of these things. So, so they send them this, they give them this piece of information that's supposed to clue them into what they're supposed to psychically remote view. Anyway, so they send Ingo to the moon, and he finds buildings on the moon, and then he finds people on the moon, or what seems to be people. And so he reports all this in one of his books called Penetration, which I read just because I was curious. Um, if it was a porn or not. Dude, stop What's taking it? my jokes, bro. <laughs> oh, I, know. Yeah, I, I forget. He calls it penetration because it's, it's, he goes into all the definitions of what it means, and he makes this whole argument about whatever. I forget what they are. Um, but um, So, yeah, Ingo Swan. So he, uh, and then I think... Um, McMonagall talks about going to Mars, but like, you know, he, he actually says like hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, and he finds beings there building pyramids on Mars hundreds of thousands of years ago. So he's got a whole thing about that. So all of them end up some bold statements. I know. I literally, I mean, McMonagall, McMonagall is saying a whole lot of stuff on YouTube right now about aliens walking among us and this kind of thing. Uh, so it's definitely a hotbed of, of interesting opinions coming out of do they ever talk about like dimensions? Cause like yes, yes, yes. what I think about when I think about this stuff is not that physically there is not another three dimensional thing there, but possibly a fourth dimensional, fifth yep. dimensional, yep. something that we can't even perceive in this state yeah, of mind. Well, yeah. I mean, definitely there's reports of aliens sort of popping in and out of thin air, you know, and that points to dimensional travel. Um, he's also talks about, you know, either you're, you're talking about interstellar travel, which is like, incredibly hard to figure out he has this funny term called fire wagons which is a, a spaceship is a fire wagon because you're just using like really really advanced fire technology to propel yourself across really long distances 
But if you've got interdimensional travel, you can fold space and move across the universe with a different type of technology than which is more feasible theoretically than right, right. Don't they call that like red shifting or something? I saw Tom DeLong was actually talking about that. Oh, uh, I don't know. I haven't heard that where, term. where they can um like what you just said, like fold. So you're, when you're looking at a UFO, it's not a streamline. Like you're not watching it go completely. What you're seeing is like one point, two point. It's just like showing up in different points. Well, it's, they all move thousands and thousands of miles an hour through, through, through the yes, uh, air apparently. So yeah, I mean, it's something there's just so erratic that there has to be something we're not understanding about them. Um, whether they're, you know, psychic projections of the mind or physical, Entities, you know, he, you know, McMonagall was talking about that they're mostly carbon-based, which means he thinks they're probably somewhere in the universe, but they, they maybe are traveling interdimensionally because that's just more feasible. So there, there are, they're still three-dimensional creatures, but they're, you know, there's just other aspects to them. It's, it's, I'm just, I'm more prone to viewing them, you know, through a consciousness or a spirituality lens, but. You know, when these are the people I'm relying on to prove that psychic things exist, and if they're saying these things, who am I to say that this part of their theory is right and another part's wrong? You know, it's very hard to say. Yeah. Well, what do you think is the most, like, from you researching this topic, what do you think is the most interesting thing that you've t- taken away from the whole subject? Like, what's, like, a uh, synchronicity or something that you felt like it gave you chills when you learned about it or read about it or whatever? Interesting. Um Aliens. Yeah. No, I, I think to me, it just goes for me further and further. Like I was listening to an Ingo Swan lecture this morning um, and he was kind of harping on the audience. You know, he was talking about, you know, um, everyone's trying to do this research into psychic phenomena using the scientific method. And he, he was like, this is the definition that parapsychology gives is using the scientific method, trying to do blah, blah, blah. He says, well, what's the problem with that definition? You kept saying, well, the problem is the scientific method, method is based in materialism. And these things are not happening according to a material philosophical view of things, because they're inexplicable that way. There needs to be a better explanation. So, you know, the, the connection is consciousness, and um, I, that for me is what's always exciting about it, and that it just reaffirms that there's a larger paradigm shift that needs to happen so that these seemingly paranormal things are seen as normal. When you shift your paradigm, you know, things that look impossible from one perspective are now, you know, you see the stuff, you see the, the pieces you were missing. And um, so it just, to me, again, points to just that larger argument about trying to find a better paradigm for understanding our reality. Um, it connects all of those things together. Well, don't you think, though, like that kind of is interesting from the standpoint of well, you just said materialism and reductionism and science. And it, we've had you on where we talked about Tom or uh, yeah, Tom Campbell and, you know, quantum physics, the double slit experiment. Um, I find it interesting, like even some of the top people like Sean Carroll's and Mimi Okaku and all these mm-hmm. physicists, they can't, they don't understand what's going on with dark matter, which makes up like 95% of our universe. Um, and it seems like science has been struggling for any sort of big breakthrough in the last, even though we're getting so technologically advanced, it seems like we're, there's no more Einsteins or Teslas or any of these people left. Um, and we're, we're grasping at straws at this point to figure out what's going on. I Musk, say, why, why not? Yeah, well, Elon's probably one of the outliers, but why don't you look at the things that we're talking about as a possible explanation for some of these um, things, not that they should use that specifically, but why not have an open mind to it when you don't have the ability to explain it yourself, you know? Yeah. 
No, and if you dig back into the the last real revolutions in, in the materialist worldview, which is quantum mechanics and Schrodinger and some of these guys, they're all talking about the same, it's pointing to the same picture for them, which is that consciousness is going to have to do have some effect on it. The observer plays some role that we've yet to define. And at the end of the day, the observer is always part of the situation that they're trying to explain. So consciousness is part of the puzzle. It's part of, you know, it has to be part of the whatever solution to it. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think I agree. Uh, like, clearly, we've gone as far as we can with that mind frame and with this skill set, and that we just need to bring a more holistic set of, uh, you know, minds. We need more people with, from broader um, disciplines to come in and sort of help carry us further. That whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we love science. We talk about science a lot on the show, but I think there's, it's naive to just put all your eggs in that basket when we don't even know what we are, why we're here, what created this whole thing. They don't even, you know, they know the big bang, but what happened before the big, now they're saying there was a cycle and there was something before the big bang. And then it's just going to keep reoccurring over and over and over and over again. It's not the scientific method is a problem. It's just the formulation that we're working with now. There, there has to be a small snag in how we formulate our method. That's creating these big blind spots in our view of reality. And when you fix that formulation, the blind spots go away. And uh, yeah, you see the larger picture. And we're, we're assessing all this through our eyeballs, which are connected to our brain and the signal gets sent upside down and, and interpreted by the brain. And right. we're supposed to just take the word of our eyeball. We're trusting, we have all these senses and we're primarily just trusting this one sense for all of our information pretty much. Well, you're going to get me on a whole other tangent, but um, <laughs> Whoa. You know, the, the point is... Well, go uh, off, man. We can talk on, about anything. <laughs> well, that, that, that's really just where philosophy from Steiner's perspective is just appropriate to, to be aware of and to talk about. Um, but I think that, I think again, my point of view is that it's not... The thing that we're lying, relying on primarily isn't our eyes or our ears. It's our minds. All right? So our mind... This is, this is a point Steiner always tends to make. See, see, if you, see if this sticks. But basically, you know, if you, um, you know, if you, he makes this point about dipping your finger in water at different temperatures. So if you put your finger in a hot water, you can say, okay, this is hotter than my body. I can tell it's hot. You know, I can tell it's cold if it's cold. But if you are incredibly hot and you put yourself in room temperature water, you, you, you can't tell if it's you that's hot or the water that's hot. So it seems that our senses lie to us depending on, you know, but he just points out, like, if you heat up a thermometer and put it in room temperature water, it's going to take time for that thermometer to drop down to zero. So it has the same adjustment rate that our skin does. Anyway, but the point is that while our senses lie to us, our minds can understand why we're being confused by our senses. So our minds always give us the ability to transcend all of that um, data and organize it. So it's a question of the mind. Um, and, and the other point of view is, is that all of reality always takes place in one of our fleshy body consciousnesses. It, it, you know, it's, there's, a, there's that idea that reality exists outside of us, whether we're there or not. The new paradigm suggests that, no, we need to be there for there to be a reality. We need to be these fallible, fleshy human beings. You know, we're kind of biocentrism. Right. That's what it's yeah, you have to work with eyes. In fact, Steiner says that the universe wouldn't develop organisms with eyes if there weren't light for those eyes to perceive. 
the light actually designs our eyes so that it can manifest itself in our consciousness. Where there are no light, creatures that don't get exposed to light, their eyes disappear evolutionarily in deep sea crevices and stuff like that. There's no eyes down there because there's no... Yeah, and caves and shit. So the universe... These qualities existed in the universe and sculpted our organism so that we had the so that they had the potential to manifest in our consciousness. It's that we we our eyes are a blessing from the light of the universe. You know what I mean? So it's not to, that's the point that Steiner makes. It's a very human centric point of view or a consciousness centric point of view. Um, they're not to be again. It's with in combination with the mind. You know, we basically can know all things. Um, and that yeah, you can, so that's my whole tangent is just like having a little bit. Well, more, rely yeah, on the human body and human experience of yeah I, I was thinking about that too actually right before we jumped on i was listening to some videos and just you know thinking and the thought popped in my head you know like we are the observer like what if we never existed or we didn't you know did did this whole thing start with consciousness you know was that the beginning you know because like we can date stuff and do stuff but i mean when it comes to consciousness was that was that the first cause? And since something was able to perceive something else, is that where it all started? You know, what, if, if we didn't exist, would all this exist? I, I personally don't think so, but. Right. No, that's the, again, that's part of that new paradigm I'm always trying to talk about is um, it it would be like designing a video game that you knew no one was ever going to (laughs) play. That's the materialist point of view. It's like the the universe was evolving, whether or not we were ever going to be here. And it's just this process that was going on blindly and dumbly. And it was, it just happens that we showed up as like a growth on the, on the outside of it. That's wrong, right? That would be like the universe working towards something for no reason. And it just happened to whatever evolved consciousness somewhere along the way. The point is, is that, yeah, a, a, a order of conscious entities in order for to make itself, you know, the loving thing to do for consciousness is to create more consciousness, basically. Um, yeah, so the original God consciousness, in order to increase in its own love of itself, created other beings, and those beings created other beings, and they create universes, and so it's just this endless cycle of creation of consciousness, exactly. So it would be no point for this universe to exist if it weren't. For Steiner, again, it, we were, it was, you know, consciousness was basically waiting around until it could go into a body that was as as evolved as ours is because again it's all about making choices we wouldn't need to be in the you know like a a plant is uh they always say you know uh, plants and animals all share single giant group souls and those they they animate how the plant acts and how the dog acts or whatever but with humans we all have our own eye ego because it's a much more complex system we basically learn more being a human than we would being a dog a little bit of a tangent, but it's just so great to be human. And we are, yeah, the universe is, is here because we are here to learn and to do things. It's, it's just a wholly different view of reality than you're typically fed. I try and tell myself that every morning, especially if you have like a tough morning or, you know, whatever you just say, Hey, we're living, breathing magic. We're lucky to be alive. Let's fucking go out there. And and that strike that you're dealing with is an essential ingredient to making the universe a more loving place. You're always dealing with something that's pressing and important for that for, for you to solve. You're an essential ingredient to reality. And the your karma is what dictates the experience you're having exactly. And it's not an accident. It's exactly how it should be. You know, it's, yeah, it is a helpful worldview, even when things are hard, because you say it's OK. I can get through this. I have the potential to get through it. You know, all this stuff. No, that's awesome, man. I think I think the same way about that as well. Um, but uh, I just think that 
it, it's good to talk about this kind of stuff because I don't think people do think about this kind of stuff on a regular basis. And I think if people did think on those in those terms and on these uh, topics, I think pe- there would be more, less anxiety, less um, depression. A lot, I think I think we're a, a civilization that's losing its soul, or yeah. you know, you know, we're, we're just we're lost. You know, people are like you said, hundred percent reliant on uh, reductionism at this point. And it's more people just, are waking up lately, you know? Yeah, there is, there is, but I think, um, news is being spread via internet, which some <laughs> is good and some is bad. That's, that's the problem. It's, that's you don't true. know what the fuck to take in. That's honest to God or whatever. That's true. You out there. You got to decipher what's the good shit or not, but that's just going to make us stronger and smarter. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. Hopefully we're on the upswing of that fucking cycle right now. But uh, let's talk about uh, Hal Putoff's recent um, uh, work with the To the Stars Academy and like what that could mean. I think, um, like I said, I read some of their books, the Tom DeLonge and Peter Lavenda, and the one that's nonfiction. I think it's God's Man and War. Right. Um, a lot of it's predicated on this phenomenon, aliens and UFOs being non-physical, there might be some element of like what you said, like psychics type stuff or remote viewing type stuff. So obviously to have one of those guys on the team is points to that kind of being the case. Right. Um, I don't know too much about that side of like, I, I've been following Russell Targo a tiny bit more than I have with, um, but if you, I, you, yeah, I don't know if you want to say anything about it. I, I don't know too much. Oh no. I was just curious if, you know, like I said, it's just one of those things where I think it's an interesting, um, you know, look, I was skeptical of Tom DeLong. I think a lot of people are, um, when you ask for money for stocks and, you know, to create this company and where it's just are like, you? if there really yeah. is something there, why would you need, why wouldn't you be able to get funding from private right. sources or right. stuff like that? But right. at the end of the day, it is what it is. And yeah. I think, um, if they come out with good stuff, awesome. I, I, you know, besides those three videos that were leaked, um, that were part of that New York times piece and the release of all that stuff. Um, there really hasn't been too much, um, in the news, which those are actually credible, you know, those were pilots that were recorded in cockpits using the latest thermal uh, imaging or infrared in imaging. And and the thing about that's interest that's interesting is that they don't know themselves whether it's otherworldly, if it's another <laughs> country's top secret programs or right. what the case may be. So it's one of those things where um, obviously, like I said, having a guy like Hal Putoff on the team to, uh, kind of debunk these things or figure it out, you know, is probably yeah. a good thing in that sense. But well, why don't yeah. you talk, why don't you talk about Russell Targ then and, and what right. he's been up to lately? Yeah. Um, it seems like, you know, the, the, uh, he did that Ted talk a couple of years, <clears throat> excuse me, years back that ended up getting, uh, revoked from the Ted lineup for, for violating their rights or, or, uh, guy and Ted talks, the best yeah, ones. Yeah, Ted talks, exactly. So, um, but, he makes the point how back, you know, like in the eighties and nineties, everyone knew that remote viewing and psychic abilities were a thing and that they were out there and that you know, there was uh, even just, you know, nightly news topics and they were just discussed. It was a thing that was discussed. And then at some point, you know, throughout the nineties and the two thousands, it just basically got erased from the cultural lexicon. We just don't talk about it as much anymore. We sort of all accept that it's not a thing. So it's just, it's almost just not even talked about. So Russell Targa is just trying to, basically shed light on the subject of psychic abilities. He's got the whole, you know, even McMonagall is just talking about how we all have this ability. It's just that we're taught 
not to use it. We're taught out of it. Um, but if we were all to simply accept that it exists and, and use it, it would, like you said, it would make us all a little less anxious. And um, Do you uh, think it's something that everybody can do or do you think yeah. it's so, McMonagall- a bloodline thing or what do you think's going on there? He said, he said it's the best metaphor is just simply it's a talent based thing. So some people are naturally born with a lot of talent, you know, or you, you can some, and some people just have to work much harder at it. Um, it's a lot like, he also re- refers to it as something like martial arts for the mind. Um, I, uh, so, so any of us could learn to do martial arts if you commit to three hours a day. And right. you can le- any person can learn to do anything if, if they simply effectively practice for three hours a day. Now, you might find all sorts of barriers to your effective practice, especially when it comes to mental practice. Um, right. you can, you know, if, you, if you spend a little time thinking about it, you start to get a picture of how and why some people succeed and why they don't um like again addiction to me is always a a pretty big thing if you can't focus and calm your mind then you're not you're not going to get too far so there's simple things that are going to inhibit you um maybe you're really you know power hungry or something and you just have this one single-minded focus i just want you know then you're probably not the right person to, to spend all this time you know um, but no, it's a, it's a, something you can either practice doing. Um, now, so beyond Russell Targ, I actually just, you know, you know, I'm a Tom Campbell fan, so I keep up with the, I'm on his YouTube channel or whatever. So he just posted this documentary. I, I watched it this morning again. I was, I was a little unsure what to think of it. And it's a, a little, I don't know. Basically there's this group in Germany who are teaching kids to see without using their eyes. Right. <laughs> so I was like, what's this? I click on this documentary and I watch it and there's this, there's this facility with all of these kids in this, basically this jungle gym kind of setup where they're driving go-karts blindfolded. They're climbing <laughs> rock walls blindfolded. They're playing uh, air hockey blindfolded. Are they doing it well? Like, are they? Yeah, yeah, they are like they're, I mean, yes, like, well, like, you know, they, they show the kids blindfolded and then they, you see them climb the rock wall and their hands go right to the spot. And he was saying like their feet have more trouble because the scale thing. And anyway, and then he started talking to some of the kids and they were like, yeah, you know, they're all like eight, 10 years old. So I don't know if they, if it, if they're, if it's dawning on them, how odd what they're talking about is, but they're like, yeah, you, you know, at first you just see a little bit and then it gets wider. And now I can, and they're asking them, is it different than your normal site? And they say a little bit. I don't know really what to make of it, but it seemed pretty clear that, like, you know, they can do the f- how many fingers thing nine out of ten times. Like, I mean, they're just matter of fact, they're saying I can see through my mask. Um, this, this just came up my, on the feed yesterday. Um, so, it, you know, uh, they're always talking about – so um, it's, a, it's a thing that all children experience at a young age, but we're just not educated to continue to do it the way that we're educated to do math and all this other stuff. Um, but beyond that, I heard all of them make this point that they really wanted to emphasize this, that basically the human species would not be here if it weren't for innate psychic abilities. And so it was kind of that thing about like when you're trying to choose which cave to put your whole tribe in that night, they would just intuitively know which one was the one that wasn't going to have a bear come back to it in the middle of the night and eat half of them. Like there was just, he basically said that this skill was something that primitive people relied on as a second nature thing, you know, which way, which, which place are we going to go to be safe every time? And so basically they said that a lot of people, and, and if you look at primitive societies today, there's a lot of, te- you know, tele- telepathy or just, um, they say it's just something that they, that we take advantage of. It's something that we would never have survived without. And that each of us 
you know, Ingo Swan talks about if you're out in nature and you're wandering around and all of a sudden your body stops before your sort of consciousness knows why. And you look down at your feet and there's a cliff, right? <laughs> so your body had noticed and stopped you, but your conscious mind wasn't present of that fact. And it only came to realize it after the body had already stopped. Well, that's the psychic phenomena for him. That's an example of this. It wasn't precognition because you weren't even aware of it, but your body had already stopped. And so stuff like that has kept us alive for a million years. So not only can everyone do it, but we've always been able to do it. It's just that our culture has no use for it. We, you know, it's, we have to do more waking life, you know, mathematical calculation, right. when to go where, whatever. So it's just, well, we it's just proven that intuition's a real thing. I think right, even right. scientists would agree that, but what, in the sense that you're saying it, people don't look at it like that, but that's an interesting thing because we've all taken a test or we've all played a quiz game or whatever. You have that intuition where you're like, Oh, I knew that was the answer. But for some reason I picked this other answer, like a fucking idiot, you know? So So, because you have no recourse to say, well, why did I, you know, I was clearly just guessing because that's the only explanation my culture gives to me is that it was just a guess and there's no reason to rely on that. But if it's something you train from the time you're born, you know, like walking, like breathing, you know, who's to say that it's not going to be a lot more, prevalent and a lot more you know, accessible for everyone to use. Um, so that's, that's the argument that they're trying to emphasize is that it's simply that we're educated out of it. And that's why this documentary in Germany was saying like, well, if you teach kids and affirm this ability, like these kids are walking around with, with their eyes closed. Like, um, I don't know. It's like a little, little army of daredevils. <laughs> right. I mean, like literally they were like, you know, the one girl was like, yeah, I have more confidence among my peers because I can do this thing that they don't, they can't. Right. Like I can, they, yeah. You know, so it's kind of cool. Like th- their anxiety was going away because they were learning this skill. Like it was like what you're saying. I mean, it was this. this Sick. I want to learn that shit. Yeah. She was 10 years old. Well, she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. I think anybody can tap into that. Like you said, it's it's practice, but like, okay, so when I started to learn how to meditate, yeah, the first couple times, nothing really, no. you know, but then you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and then suddenly something happens, and you're like, what the fuck? I mean, I can honestly say that the first couple times where it really happened uh, when I meditated were more intense than most of the psychedelic experiences that I had when I was younger. Um, And I'm being honest. I'm not, you know, bullshitting. Um, So I I think from that standpoint of uh, you're saying, oh, how can I do this? Or I want to try that. Well, learn how to meditate and also lucid dreaming. Um, There's this point for me, at least, and I don't, I think everybody's different, but I'll go to bed from like, you know, I go to bed usually a little bit later, but let's say I go to bed at one o'clock and then I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning to the bathroom or something. And then I come back when I fall back asleep that second time, boom, I go right back. I go into it where I don't even remember the dreams that I had during the larger portion of my sleeping. But when I go back to sleep, it's almost instantaneous and it's vivid and it's like cannabis black. It, it feels more real than real sometimes, if that right. makes sense. Absolutely. No. Yeah. And um, a little bit of training and all of a sudden, right. Like they were doing remote viewing in their lucid dream states. So like, yeah, if that's not motivation to, to, yeah, to have a, a little bit more interesting life, you know, like that, I don't know what is like, that sounds great. You know? Um, yeah. Um, but you think, there's you a, think they're going to start teaching that stuff at the Waldorf school? <laughs> Right. Well, you'd be. I wonder why they're not already. I guess uh, you know. Um, it, it, yeah, it's a little. 
Yeah, it would turn into a thing where it would be used against them. Yeah, probably. exactly. It's so political. Witchcraft. And shit. <laughs> right. So they have to. They have to walk in again. You know, the Waldorf school is is a school set up based on you know advice Steiner gave to teachers about how to raise kids in our age. It's not a school to train people to be like Steiner or to understand his philosophy. So they they keep a really healthy boundary from Steiner. Um, it's just a, a school based in some of his. Yeah, but I would think that they would mention it though at some point. So you you would be like, um, you know, like there's got to be some backstory of like why the school is the way it is. And... Yeah, they they all know that this guy Steiner invented it, and they're all told in like eighth or ninth grade. You know, there's all these books you can read and go ahead and try them. They have this all. They, you know, there's this joke amongst them that it's this really hard, weird books. They're not really sure what to say, and you know, they all. So they're you know they're all normal kids. They just went to this weird school, and they still try to you know, identify with all the peers, right? So they, they don't have a, you know, it's not like they're given this larger picture of reality, really. I, I think it's less of that and more of, you know, I always hear like, you know, um, all of the Silicon Valley people, anyone who's anyone there, like they all send their kids to Waldorf schools because they know that screen time is bad for young minds. So like Waldorf schools are famous because there's no screen time until you're like 16, right? Like you don't oh, watch okay you know you don't do computers you don't do video right. or whatever so because it's not healthy for the spirit you know for the human spirit to be whatever like steiner has this you know a roundabout advice or whatever um so it's a, it's just a particular environment um anyway yeah there's not a rudolph steiner statue in the middle you have to like give sacrifices <laughs> exactly. and they're not they're not like talking about all the hierarchies of heaven and this kind of stuff it's it's more you know they just do paintings and they emphasize art they emphasize different stuff um so, so. would you say that like a uh, rudolph steiner or Madame bolatsky or edgar casey would you say that these people were most likely remote viewing they just didn't <clears throat> understand or no, it's uh, the, the the thing with remote viewing is that it's tied to the idea of the scientific process in like a lab. Um, so, like McMonagle said, it's also remote viewing is something that it's not remote. It's removed in space, but not time most most of the time anyway, or because then you can't corroborate it. Um, so it depends on it. Basically, you know, I, I wanted to just, you know, as a way to summarize the whole remote viewing thing, it's it's again, it's good to think of your mind as like the the you know the stage or it's it's the computer screen like you are the user in a computer and you you know when you bring up when you when you when you wake up in the morning this like uh the the major program starts running and that's what you're viewing but if you train your mind you can minimize that program and all of a sudden you have this blank space it's like a google bar you type in whatever you want to type in now you're querying either the akashic records or you know, the simulation where it is right now at my friend Joe's house and I'm remote viewing or I'm, you know, asking some entity, this great cosmic truth. So I'm doing something, you know, astral project, you know, it really just depends on where you take that Google search. And the thing is you, your consciousness. So you have access to all of reality. That that's kind of like that big major takeaway for me is that this points to the fact that as consciousness, we are sharing in the one, which is everything. Like, so we have access to literally everything. That's so exciting. Um, don't you think that, Oh, how do I want to put this? Well, like if you look at the internet, it's almost like a modern day Akashic record. Um, but the thing, the thing I think is, is that we're substituting what we should be and what we should be doing with this technology that's almost doing it for us. Or we're becoming like lazier, you know, I I don't know how to put it, but like a lazier mind and kind of what you're talking about, like about the kids not looking at the computer screens and stuff while they're at school. I think there's something to that in the sense that, um, 
you're not connected. You're not as connected as you would be if it was just happening. And I think it takes away a lot of the mystery um, of life. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I love going on the YouTube or Google and Wikipedia and having those amazing tools at my disposal. I probably wouldn't know half the shit that I don't, you know, I I wouldn't know, but um, I think there is a limit that you should be, you know, doing this stuff at. It's just very tough with today's society. You know, it's the, it's dawned on me that like, you know, if if instead of learning, if instead of building this giant web of technology across the entire globe, we had just focused on all becoming psychic, we would need AT&T to, to video record us with our daughter in India because we could just do that on the psychic realm, right? So, like, everything that's been done technologically, we could potentially be doing with our own minds. Like, you know, uh, I do think that that's an interesting point, but instead we've chosen to do it the very technological way. Oh, um, the easiest way out. The very easy way, right, yeah, because it does it for us. So there's a guy named Andrew Lionel who's a Steinerologist or whatever. He's a guy that researches Steiner, and he's got a video called Steiner's Surprising View of the Future. And he cites all of these quotes the Steiner makes about how eventually humanity is going to fuse itself to technology, and there's going to be this, like, technological double, a, a body double that, like, we are, like, whatever. So his view is that Steiner actually predicts that we're going to fuse you know, it's that whole singularity thing where man and machine fuse into one consciousness and we take on, like, which I don't know if that's what science is or not. Maybe that, maybe Lionel is just seeing into something that's not actually there. But uh, Tom Campbell also mentions at one point in his book that, like, technology, if you think that, like, you know, you know, breast implants and stuff is one thing, but, like, when you start getting to genetic modification and then further and further, he was like... What CRISPR's doing right now? What's yeah, it? I just did I said it. What, what CRISPR's doing right now? I, I, maybe I didn't hear about that, but... CRISPR is, like, a genetic... Um, they, yeah. they alter genes and stuff, and they just right. used it, and they... I think, was it Asia? They did something yeah. where they, exactly. they altered babies yeah. or something? So he was... Tyre Campbell just, like, vaguely alludes to the fact that, like, we have seen nothing yet, and the future is about to get way weirder than we can even imagine right now because of technology. Um, so it's very hard to say, and that's... I just think that... Uh, yeah. So do I, they do they advise us to go down that route or that's, that's the, you have to you know so Lionel says that for Steiner it's inevitable that that's the way you go but that's his interpretation so I'd have to go in and try to interpret Steiner in my own way to find out um, I'm not I, I don't know who I don't know if it's if I could say but like with Campbell he just alludes to it's just gonna I, happen yeah that makes me nervous I'll it tell does. you why I, I I would let's say hypothetically there's another dimension there's another realm there's a heaven there's whatever getting like you fuse with this technology, they upload your consciousness onto a thing. Now you're trapped in this fucking conscious. Yeah, but that's, but that's, I think that's a bit science fiction. Um, again, con- black mirror episode. First of all, no, it's yeah. probably Futurama if we're being yeah. honest, but consciousness is the, you are a conscious uh, ego and I, you're a fragment of the whole consciousness and the whole system is working towards love. So those are the things that you, you know, you're an individual whose purpose is love, right? That's Tom Campbell's philosophy. So in, in any complicated, you know, if we were to sit back a thousand years ago and then start, someone was to try to describe you or, you or I life right now, you would have the same reaction. Like, well, that just sounds dubious to me. But it wouldn't have changed the fact that love is still the point and your, 
individual growth is still the point. So no matter what the environment is, you know, your individual growth is still the point. And as long as you don't lose sight of that, no, you wouldn't want to build yourself into a technology. But don't you think the technology thing is, is a cop-out in the sense that we can't reach this pinnacle of love ourselves or we're too slow or whatever you want to say, but then we create these things that are programmed to be like that or to do that maybe, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, I mean, again, we are nature. So what we create is what nature created. You know, we are that we are the figurehead of nature. Um, so I don't think anything we do could be necessarily labeled a cop-out. Um, it's just about intention. It's just about intention. It's not it's, you're, you're building a scenario where we do it because we're lazy, but you don't have to build it that way, you, you know, which is simply a, a piece of the picture. Um, so it's about, you, don't, you don't think humans fusing with machine is an evil, you know, uh, um, future. No, I mean, we do that today, right? Like true, true. Our phones were pretty much cyborg already with the, yeah. our phones in our hands all day. You know, yeah. it, you know it's, it's like, you know, back in the day when the internet was just coming about and there's people saying like, well, this tool seems dangerous. Basically the point is that there's no such thing as a dangerous tool. A tool is dangerous in the hands of a person with intent to do something wrong. That's right. All, right. all tools are just, are, are just a fact, you know, whether you know, it's about how we use them. So it's not, it's all about our intention. Um, and that's the point. Yeah, it's about realizing that individualism and love is the is the point. You know, again, if that's always your starting, if you keep that in your perspective, nothing can can take you off of that path. Um, well, when the only tool you have point. is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. So. Yeah, and you're an ape. You better fucking. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Tom Campbell, and I'll you bring him up. Um, uh-huh. I I messaged you. We were talking about this. Um, I read his book, the first book, because there's three books, right? Right. I think I got halfway through the second one too. Yeah, but I stopped it's a reading lot more it. Technical after the first one. <laughs> it, it wasn't even. I didn't even stop because of the technical. I like the technical stuff. Yeah. I stopped because I realized um, he's got his model, and it's a great model. I think it, the whole theory is a great theory, and I like his work, and I'll continue to watch his videos and support him and whatever. But um, the it's not the, he doesn't look at the psychedelic aspect of things. And I'm not saying that you have to or that, but that should be taken into account considering um, the millions of people that have done these substances that have been transformative or um, conscious altering. Um, You know, he he addresses it. He says, oh, well, um, you know, my mind is my tool and I can't afford to, I think that's what it is in the book where he talks about, he's like, I can't afford to take chances because that's, you know, my main tool is my mind or whatever. So he talks about how he has his motorcycle and that's his drug or getaway or whatever. So, right. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, uh, I actually have this conversation with my girlfriend all the time, uh, because she's a bit of a psychedelic, psychedelic advocate. And it was always a point of contention with, uh, with her as well. But I mean, from my point of view, I don't see how I can argue with Tom Campbell about hit the success he's had with his process. Um, he clearly has achieved an incredible amount of success with his pr- approach to doing things. And then the, the other problem I have is that most of the people I research don't rely on psychedelics to achieve these higher states. Um, you know, Steiner and Swedenborg and all of these figures. Yeah, like I said, I meditate. I mean, I, I haven't used these things in years. I'm just talking about I've done them and I know. Well, even Ken the, Kesey, man, he used I, to take the acid yeah. and he elevated above it. He well, even Neil Cassidy, the bus driver for the Merry Pranksters, would drive yeah. 100 miles an hour through red lights and know that he was going to be fine and not get into an accident because he had that, like, 
precognition or whatever you want. It's, but that's what I'm just saying, like, it's obviously been used by the government. It's a thing that they know has some sort of correlation to this. Why not yeah. at least do an experiment where you're watching other people go through this or, well, they, you know, they, that, that's, that's another part of the picture is that with McMonagall, they clearly did do that because, you know, the government had no qualms about giving soldiers psychedelics and civilian psychedelics. So he said that they came to us and said, well, what happens if you do this on acid? And I think the ultimate point was that it doesn't help. Because in order to do remote viewing, you need a very steady, baseline, clear mind. And any, anything that's coming into that clear, empty space is a disturbing, it's noise. It's noise to the signal. If the signal right. is a non-physical thing, and you're trying to isolate that thing in all of the universe, and you're querying it about that one signal, everything else is noise. And that's Tom Campbell's point, is that it's all noise. The mind is all powerful, and do you believe that though? Oh, absolutely. Because again, consciousness is the theory. Conscious, we are everything we experience is via our consciousness. That's fundamental. So you give consciousness LSD, you change it. You give it I mean, a world, a universe to live in, and you change it. You give it, you know, a human body, and you change it. But the thing that's always consistent is consciousness. Um, and so Tom Campbell's point, and all of the sages of all of history say, once you get to that base level of consciousness the rest of the portals of reality are opened up to you. Whereas LSD is just, you know, it's not even its own realm. It's, I'm not sure what. I think that's the worst one too. If, 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 if I'm being honest, uh-huh. I think psilocybin and DMT are probably the two that. It's almost like, you know, with DMT, you're basically, you're right. You're changing your own biochemistry. So that's a feature of consciousness. But with, with, with Campbell's theory, you're trying to get behind consciousness, right? You're trying to I get, gotcha. you, you don't want to, it's not about altering a specific type of the chemistry. You're, you're trying to get beyond your body or something in that, in that vein of thought. So for them, all of that, you know, Tom Campbell quit caffeine. He quit sugar. He quit, you know, there's, he's in the sugar movie. He, cause, because sugar affects your consciousness. It affects your Oh, absolutely. Body. It's a drug. hundred percent. It becomes addictive. So again, if he, if he just wants to go have a chocolate pretzel, but he's in the middle of the, of the chamber floating in a thing, right. But he's focused on his chocolate pretzel. That's not going to help. Right. So like, that's, what's so impressive about Tom Campbell to me is that he's trained his life around this research that he does. And again, with him, it was all about repeatability. You know, it's people are so skeptical of this process that if it's, if you're on acid every day to do it, that's just not repeatable, you know, whatever. So for Tom, it was about minimizing the noise, minimizing the randomness, all of that stuff and, and finding that. Yeah. Pretty basic. What I, what I will say is this. Um, if you look at like a uh, Timothy Leary or, you know, some of the famous psychonauts of all time with Terrence McKenna or whatever, yeah, I think you can obviously overdo these substances where what, what you're saying almost like clouds the waters a little bit. Um, but I think if you have, if you have a baseline of it, like I've had this experience, I know what it felt like right. that can just only add to your hypothesis or add yeah. to, you know, it's almost like proof. It's all, it is almost like physical proof. Like, yes, you can do this thing where you, like I, you, like I said, lucid dreaming, I've had experiences meditation. I, I'm not, those are awesome things that I would prefer to do over these other things, right. but just having that other thing as a baseline of a physical, tangible thing, you can, put your finger on and say, this is an experience, you know, that can't be denied, you know? I think I I look at it. I mean, I'm thinking of a metaphor in my head, whatever, like, you know, LSD is like a lifesaver when you're floating in like a a rough ocean and you, you, they toss you this thing and it pulls you onto the shore. But once you get to the shore, you know, you don't need, you know, so it's something that I think is a part of, it's an incremental part of people's paths. 
But like, if you're talking about, you know, there's using it as a tool for remote viewing or, um, you know, building a theory based. So I I guess I get, I get what you're saying is like, he, um, wanted to make this thing a hundred percent scientific so it could be credible and used to, uh, get out there to the most number of people without seeming quacky or whatever. So so, so there wasn't space for him to be using, but again, that's, I think you're right. Is the point is that what I'm not saying is that no one should ever take LSD and that it could never be helpful in their personal growth. That's definitely not what I'm saying. It's just that like, once you've reached a certain level of balance in your life and you want to become a master remote viewer, it might not be the case that a weekly dose of LSD, you know, like you just don't need it. You don't need it. It's not that you don't might not benefit from it. You may very well benefit from it, but it's just not a necessary ingredient. So like Tom Campbell does it without it. Well, who, I don't need to be mad at him for that or whatever. And I I know what you're saying is that he doesn't seem to advocate for it. I'm not mad, but it just seemed like he was almost like against it. There's no reason. There's no reason to talk negatively about it. If you've never experienced, you know, it's like the person's like, Oh, you're a drug addict. You ate mushrooms. Well, have you ever fucking done it? You know, like, Yeah, I think uh, I, that's the thing you really have to realize is that everyone is always playing politics. I think for Tom Campbell, it's probably a politics card. He doesn't need to be on YouTube advocating for LSD use while he's trying to break yeah. it. So I think he's playing a political card as well. It's about, you know, everyone can't take off all, you know, chew all those bites or whatever. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's. A Actually, I agree with you now there now that I think about it. That probably is exactly what. Exactly. Happened, so, yeah. so if you ask him, you know, in his house, you know, maybe he tells you a funny story. So it's hard to say. And I think you're right. I think it's fine to, I, I think the ultimate point is that, you know, you can do it without it, but you can do it with it. And uh, it's really up to the person to find out their path. And, well, I would like to see a, a study on these people that can remote view or have psychic abilities um, after they've developed it and honed it in, if psychedelics would then have the same effect on them after or have as much of an effect. I know there's some like DMT, I think, boom, once you're gripped in it from everybody. I've never done it, but everybody I talk to on our podcast is like, once you're fucking in the thing, you can't get the fuck out. It, you know, I, I have heard one funny story. I, I don't remember if it was Alan Watts or perhaps it was Terrence McKenna, but they were recounting this story. Maybe it was Ram Dass, whoever it was. But they were over in India in the 70s, and they wanted to give, I think it was probably Terrence McKenna. They, yeah, we talked about this actually on one of the ones yeah, we they, did with you. They gave one of these you know, monks, these, these master monks, a dose of DMT or whatever, and they were like, what, what, what do you think about this? And they said, oh, yeah, that's just, and they gave some old Indian word for some realm that yogis had been visiting for a thousand years. It's just, you know, like they, they, yeah, like they, know this guy. they said it was the closest to death you could get without dying, or that's the closest you can go without coming or with, yeah. uh, with being able to come back. Or I forget what it was. Yeah. I feel like maybe the story has been changed. That's it probably is, but you know, the, the, the monk, it wasn't something big, you know, brand new to the monk, but it wasn't also a place that the monk constantly strove to get to. It was just, Oh, that's one of the available states of reality. Yeah, sure. It's there. Yep. And you can get information out of it if you have the right question. But if you don't know why you're there, then it's going to be as useless as any other experience you have. So my my opinion, though, on what you're saying, why it would cloud it, though, I think it would be more in the terms of it's such an intense experience that it's almost overwhelming. So what you're saying about being able to focus, having something like boom, shoot you into a fucking another dimension and not even have any context for it. makes no sense because you're seeing everything at once that you've never seen before, you know? Right. I think, I think that's really the point is if, you know, I, I just watched a uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. That's I, a fucking awesome right. movie. 
But they, you know, they ask the computer, what's the answer to everything? And it says 42. And they were like, well, what the hell is that? And he's like, well, what's the question? You don't know the question. This is the answer. But in order to know why the answer is relevant, you have to know what the question means. So they said, well, well, then what's the question? It was like, well, you got to have to ask another computer to do that. <laughs> so you have to know the question in order to know the answer. Um, and I think that's probably a big problem with DMT is what's the question. <laughs> I got a question here on our YouTube chat. Um, maybe you guys can answer. Are there any women associated with uh, remote viewing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was one of the cool stories that McMonagall uh, gave. Uh, I forget her name. I should have written it down. But um, she was one of the people brought in to be a control and she ended up being like one of the best psychics in the entire program. Um, so a bunch of the women, oh, her name's Hella Hamid. Hella yeah, I saw actually there was a YouTube video on that. Somebody could probably look that up if they yeah, want. Hella Hamid, that was her name. So she was just one of them, but a couple of them in the program. Another guy's name was Pat Price. Uh, he ended up working for the CIA for like a month, and then he ended up dead. So that was a little shady. They, they weren't, uh, his friends weren't too happy about that. He was like the best one ever, Pat Price. Oh, could walk into it with it. He could OB and go into, he was apparently the only person that could read uh, in remote viewing. He could read file names in the out of body state, which I guess was very, very hard to do. He was the only He was one. a little too good. He was yeah. good. So like, I mean, he got in trouble because like he would read off file names of programs that no one was supposed to know about. And they were like, the only way you can know about this is if you somehow broke into our facility. And he was like, look, I did, but I did it. You know, you told me to, I went out of body and I did it. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's a couple of women. Yep, uh, Hella Hammond is the one I can remember now. Yeah, because um, you would think that you know women they're a little more in touch with you know feelings and stuff that well, they yeah, would be better at it. They were brought in as controls, and like a, a, like you know some percentage of the ones that were just random volunteers ended up being better than most at it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, it's definitely a good intuition. Yeah, it's something to follow. Um, and I've I've run across quite a few like Helena Blavatsky. You know, is the first one I can think of, but there are right. quite a few women psychics in the field that you can read about that have a lot of prominent history, whether some of them are quacks or not, I'm not sure, but there's well, people think that that one, that Baba Vanga lady, she predicted oh, some yeah. shit. Yeah. My she, girlfriend she, loves Baba Vanga. Yeah. She was a blind mystic. She had yep. some weird thing where she said, there's always three, there's three things always watching sure. or hovering or, and I've heard that yep. from other weird non-associated yep. sources too. So maybe there's she some weird shit. That the, that the 45th president would be non-white and that it would be the last legitimate 44, the 44th president would be non-white and it would be the last legitimate American president and that our country would collapse. And so my girlfriend's always like, it's happening. It's happening. Baba Vanga was right. And I'm just like, roll, roll slow your roll. We'll find That's out. some grim ass shit. I think we can control our destiny somewhat too. I think that's yeah, part of it. Though. No, it's, yeah. I mean, it's big like maybe it i think about that too like maybe when these people are viewing these things or seeing these visions or whatever they're doing um that they're seeing what would happen if things continued on the path at that very specific moment you know yeah, it's like lord of the rings when he looks into the ball and he sees what happens if he doesn't well, yeah so tom tom campbell's big gist is that when you're doing psychic readings about the future you're taking a probability of what's likely to happen so the further you go into the future, there's a broader range of what's probable. But if you just go once, you're going to get something that's the most probable or perhaps not even the most probable, but you're seeing probable futures. You're not seeing definite futures because the future isn't definite. Everything is still open-ended. So future readings are always probable and things are open to change. So no matter how good the psychic is, they might see something that is 10% probable or 33% probable or whatever, um, but you can't be sure until you get there because uh, things aren't determined in that way. Um, so like like you said though these things were these tests were all double blinded um but do you think that so like you know what mentalists are yeah i think so 
Okay, so they're like um, they're like fake psychics, if you will, or people that use body language and like little face facial recognition or facial twitches. You know, like they use everything and they put this like story together, and then they can tell people they're basically like um, charlatans. Yeah. Yeah, charlatans, if you yeah. will. But there was, um, you know, there's a, there's a guy on Joe Rogan. I forget his name, but he was a mentalist, and he was saying that all these people are fake, and he knows how how they did it. And Uri, I don't know who this Dan guy was, Br- but Uri Geller was a fake, and all sorts yeah. of shit. Dar- was it Darren Brown? <sighs> yeah, is he is he like a um, mind like a, Yeah, is he like a fifty year old? guy maybe i don't know maybe it's not that guy i don't know okay. but this guy was just yeah. a, he he was a mentalist and he was trying to say all oh, this shit's fake and he knows how they do it and blah 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 blah, blah. yeah um well that's what's actually what's really funny like james randy is the f- most famous one um but there's a bunch of for whatever reason there's a bunch of scientists that are all about stage magic that spend their whole life being skeptics about psychics it's like they, they, they think that, you know, they're a stage magician. Their whole thing is the paradigm that they use is that everything is a gimmick and a trick. And so they just extend that to psychics as well. They basically can't get out of that paradigm that everything is a stage magic show. And so they, their whole life is hell-bent on proving that everything is just stage magic. So like, uh, like I mean, a, We're all performing stage magic right now for somebody. I don't know who the fuck it is, but... Yeah, right. But anyway, so I just think that those are people that get stuck in that paradigm and just don't feel the need that they... They don't ever feel any proof that they have to exit it, that their worldview is, is, is solid or whatever. And I, I find it a little bit boring. All those people... You know what's interesting about all those people? They're atheists, most of them. Uh, most of them are like... Oh, I know how to do this. This is fake. Blah blah blah. Even some magicians. I know. Um, I was watching. Um, what was it? Expedition Unknown. They had like a whole afterlife mini series thing where they were interviewing at Dr. Eben Alexander, who was the famous near death guy that wrote the book. Um, yeah. And then they did the opposite, where they went to like a complete atheist. And they, <laughs> the person they went to was uh, was it um, Penn Gillette or whatever the oh, magician. Yeah. Penn and Teller, baby. And it's just like the way he That's thinks about probably, life, man. He's yeah, like he's got to be depressed as fuck, man. Yeah, he's a magician who thinks that everything is stage magic and that everyone is out to be an illusionist. It's just whatever they can't seem to escape their own view of the world. And it's like, just because you're interested in stage magic doesn't mean that every person ever is trying to hoodwink the audience. I don't, I don't know. That's a great example. Pendulette, there's so many. I mean, it started with Harry Houdini. I don't know if you know that story. Yeah, but, yeah. He, 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 he said he was going to bring come back and tell his wife some, some secrets or something. Well, more than that, though, when he was alive, you know, he was really close with his mom. When his mom died, this psychic told him, I can get in touch with your mom. And so Harry Houdini was heartbroken or whatever. So it was like this whole episode in his life. His life almost fell apart because he was so close to his mother. She died. He could barely handle it. So this psychic was trying to take advantage of him, basically, and, uh, like, used tricks and read diaries and stuff and tried to basically tried to trick him and say, I've been in contact with your mom and she wants you to know everything's fine. But he, like, found out that she w- he was trying to, you know, she's preying on him because someone in his family had just died. This was a big thing in the turn of the century in America. Is yeah, a bunch of that just happened all the time. They still do that shit. They still do it exactly. So Harry Houdini found out that he was being preyed upon, and he made it his life goal to expose, like you said, mentalists, um, spiritualists is what they called them in the turn of the century in America. They do seances and stuff like that. So Harry Houdini set this uh, trend of stage magicians debunking people claiming to have real magic powers. This is, this is the trend. So people that have, that pretend to have magic powers think it's really inauthentic to actually claim to have magic powers. 
You know, you're supposed right. to tell the magician that's a, you know, that's going too far. You're basically cheating because you're saying, oh, I actually have it instead of just being. So it's, that's why you get all of these magicians that get really mad at other magicians that claim to have actual powers. That That's the whole answer. That's why magicians are always mad at psychics. <laughs> that's similar to the Pendulette thing, too, because when, yeah, when he was that. being interviewed, he was talking about how his mom died or something, and then his sister died, and then all of a sudden he had, like, no faith or whatever and that kind of pushed him down that road and that's kind of why he's so pessimistic about it yeah it's kind of yeah it's just like that that's the point is that the materialist reductionist worldview is a depressing worldview that you would have the absolute right to be depressed about if it were true but it's not true it's demonstrably false and this is that's my big point all in all of this and all of my realms of research is that in every sense it's always there's always a a big paradox that's glaringly obvious and that some people just don't want to admit or whatever. So all of this stuff points to these big paradoxes. So are you sold then on the whole remote viewing thing being real or are you still skeptical or like I said, like I said, the last interview it's, it's for me, it's not there. The idea of believing in materialism is blatantly not an option for me anymore. It's just simply falsified to me. That worldview is falsified for me. So that leaves an empty space for another type of worldview. So for me, consciousness is a way more coherent worldview. It's not about like, yes, I'm completely convinced that consciousness exists and that it's not produced by the body and that it must be likely that we survive death and that all of this literature and all of these people and all the experts and all the psychics and all, they all have something to say that's true. It's not all true. Most of it's, you know, but like, yes, there are larger parts of reality. To me, it's not even, yeah, like it, it, they're, they can't, they literally can't explain how the brain works based on materialism. So it's false. It's a false, you know, we need something else. It's fucking weird, man. Life's fucking weird. That's for sure. Yep. Um, Yep. But you just have to have that sense of love. Love is always the ultimate it's grounded in love. So, you know, as weird as it is, it's also. So, is there anything you want to add to that or was um, that it? I think we did pretty good. Yeah. Um, remote we'll have you back on and we'll do, we'll find some other stuff to talk about. You're pretty well-rounded on your uh, research and stuff, but, uh, is there a website or, uh, what's your Instagram for people to check out your glass work? Um, it's my full name, Andrew Tischler Glass, on Instagram. That would be awesome if anyone wants to check it out. That'd be super cool. Um, and then These fucking I, patterns are sick, by the way. You guys got to check this shit out. Um, I would say uh, check out Russell Targ's Third Eye Spies. It's coming out in February of 2019. I'm going to try to figure out where it's showing. Maybe hit up the event, or just hopefully it comes out and we can all watch it soon in February. It's Third Eye Spies. You know, I'm definitely supporting him. So that would be the thing to go check out. Check that out. <laughs> Awesome. And you can check us out at Mike and Maurice mind escape.com. And you can check us yep, out yep. on pa- Patreon at patreon.com backslash Mike and Maurice. Well, Andrew, it's been a pleasure and uh, we're going to have you back. We're going to have you back on. We're going to find some stuff to talk about, but uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah. You guys are awesome. I appreciate both of you guys' time and you guys have, oh, yeah. you guys do good work. It's always nice talking to you. Well, we appreciate it. So uh, everybody peace out. Peace.